0: Good morning, Stonehill Church. I'm glad to be opening Isaiah 61 with you this morning. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I thought I would be preaching with you in person at the church, and then a week ago, I thought I would be preaching to you, not in person, but from the church. But then we had a cough this week, and uh, seems to be just a minor cold, but... In the interests of loving our neighbor uh, via public health, we are home. And so I am preaching from home this week. This is our back deck, um, which is about the biggest space I was able to find with some decent lighting. So my neighbors have heard this sermon three times today now uh, because, you know, you got to practice preaching. But also I live at a seminary, so people can't really complain without seeming anti-Bible and anti-preaching. So here we are. Anyhow, I'm delighted to be with you in Isaiah 61. I also didn't know that this is the situation we would be in when this passage was chosen for me months ago, but it is so applicable to our present situation that I don't need, know that we need much of an introduction. This passage is about good news for those who are afflicted, and I think many of us would say we are facing totally new challenges today, and so I invite you to turn with me to Isaiah 61. It says, is Isaiah 61, we will be in verses 1 through 4 this morning. Isaiah 61, 1 through 4. Isaiah 61, 1 through 4. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. You know, in this passage, there's good news for all sorts of people. And uh, when I read this kind of passage, a lot in the last couple of weeks, two things come to mind, one right after the other. The first thing I think is I read, you know, especially verses 1 and 2, about the poor, about the brokenhearted, the captives, is, oh, this is for me, you know. This this is the word I need. This passage, Isaiah 61, is meant for me and us right now. You know, it, it talks about good news for the poor. And I know many in our um, church have probably lost hours, lost income, are concerned about what this will mean economically. Retirement savings have, have uh, been put into question at exactly the wrong time, you know, for a variety of reasons. Young people and old are facing economic questions that they weren't a couple months ago. Uh, He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. And I know many people are disappointed for small reasons, big reasons. You know, people are brokenhearted because they've been working for years and years and they were going to have a graduation ceremony. It was canceled. I mean, at our... um, at, at the church that we're going to in Seattle in a couple months, we've had to cancel wedding receptions. Uh, people are suffering other losses. People are in health crises. People have lost family members for all the reasons, the normal reasons, and yet they come today and in this time of isolation are feeling extra brokenhearted. So I would say this is for us. It talks about liberty for the captives. And I. I don't mean to make light of the verse or the situation, but honestly, the first time I read this, I think, I feel captive in my own home. Of course Isaiah 61 is exactly the passage I need right now. But when I read this and say, Oh, this is great. This is meant for me. My second thought that comes right afterward is, Who am I to say I need this? I mean, there are people much poorer than us, right? There are people more broken-hearted than us that have been for years on end. There are uh, uh, people who are literal captives in literal prisons, maybe wrongly so. And so who am I to say, oh, we need Isaiah 61? I mean, there are people who need it more than I do, it almost seems like. But the good news about the Bible is that it's not a scarce resource you know, the good news about Isaiah 61 is, the question is not who needs it most. Uh, the question is, don't we all need this? I mean, don't we all need this good news? Don't we all need the one who has the Spirit of the Lord upon him, who has been anointed to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives? I mean, I hope that as you you read these verses, you recognize this is good news for my situation because this is good news for every situation because Jesus Christ himself is the good news for the world yesterday, today, and forever. As I read this passage, I'm first struck in verses 1 and 2 that the Christ rescues his people. I say the Christ um, talks about one whom the Lord has anointed. uh, In Hebrew, we talk about the Messiah. The Messiah is the anointed one. In Greek, they would translate that the Christ. So this anointed one, this Messiah, uh, 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 this Christ, one of the first things he does here in verse 1, verse 2, is he rescues his people from the things they need to be rescued from. And it could be all sorts of things. You know, it is good news for the poor, or that could be translated good news for the lowly, for those who are poor or oppressed or powerless or cast down or trampled upon. Um, you know, he, on the other hand, he, he is coming to bind up the brokenhearted. He's coming for captives. As you read this, I hope you go, I need to be rescued in one of these ways, two of these ways, all of these ways. Because this is one of the first things that Christ does. He sees where his people are pinned down, and he comes with answers. He unshackles his people from what has held them captive. And it could be poverty, it could be powerlessness. It could be broken heartedness. It could be captivity. As it has been for, for many Christians around the world in literal prisons throughout history. Um, as it has also been for many Christians that are held captive to sin, captive to addiction, captive to systems, captive to a situation. You know, Some of us are saying, I desperately need to know that the Christ comes proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. Because right now, or recently, it has just seemed like, is God really here? Or is God really on my side? And the mere fact that God has sent His chosen one is a sign that, yes, God does care. Is a sign that, yes, God smiles on His people, that God is present, that God cares for His people and is coming to help. You know, some people need this good news that the Christ comes announcing the day of vengeance of our God. Sounds like bad news to some, but not to those who have said, I am concerned that wrong has been done and it's going to go unaddressed. I am concerned that people are doing what they shouldn't do and it's never going to catch up with them. Well, the day of the vengeance of our God is a promise that God will set everything straight. I I don't think we need to fear that He is harsh. He is all-knowing and He is all-wise. He is love. He is gracious. But we can find assurance in this, that there is a day of the vengeance of our God when everything will be put right. And finally, at the end of verse 2, it says, He comes to bring comfort to those who mourn. I think... um, though there are many among us who may be frustrated by something or overwhelmed by something or um, pulling their hair out because of something uh, some family member has done while all living in the same apartment together, I think it's appropriate to remember that there are also those among us who are mourning, who are tender-hearted, who um, were already in a vulnerable position and feel even more vulnerable, who were already um, in a place of devastation and are experiencing even more loss. And we are assured that the Christ comes, as much as He comes triumphantly, He comes with comfort for those who mourn. He is with us in our grief. In all these ways, He sets us free. In all these ways, the Christ rescues us from what has pinned us down. But as these verses go on it becomes clear that the Christ does not just rescue us from what is wrong in our world or our life. He also restores us with what is good. He, he, he doesn't just um, um, break the chains and then run off to do something else. He, he comes to us with what we need and dresses us in, in His own uh, 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 royal garments and He restores us to what He made us to be and to what He is remaking us to be. Verse 3 starts out this way. It says, To to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. It's this picture of, um, of a hero who, yes, sets the captives free, but then brings them home and gives them fresh clothes and provides them with the oil of gladness to be cleaned up and the garment of praise to be dressed for a banquet, a feast rejoicing, restoration surely Um, I'm reminded in this talk about clothes, trading our ashes for beautiful headdress uh, trading our faint spirit for a garment of praise, how often I uh, when I get totally overwhelmed by a situation, literally do not change my clothes, (laughs) that if you come into this house on a day when I'm totally overwhelmed, it's not unlikely that there'll be a pile of clothes in the corner, either what I couldn't bring myself to put in the hamper the night before or what I um, should be folding and putting on because it came out of the dryer, but when I get overwhelmed, often I don't make the time to, to change and put on what I should put on to get ready for the day. And in this strange time, it is no time to leave our beautiful headdress, garment of praise, crumpled in the corner or waiting in the laundry basket. It's no time to say, I don't have time. <laughs> For the ways that God would restore me. I don't have time you know, for prayer, for worship, for these things, because there's so much to do all of a sudden. There are ways I've got to fix this situation. This is no time to leave these things crumpled in the corner if ever we needed the restoration of God to do things His way, to do things um, by His power, to do things by faith in Him. Now is that time when we desperately need to trade in our ashes for a beautiful headdress, when we desperately need His oil of gladness and His garment of praise. And so in this first half of the verse, it talks about Christ's restoration, like putting on fresh clothes, which is kind of how it feels on a given day, when we say, yeah, I'm going to choose that. I'm going to say yes to the restoration that Christ is trying to work in me. But if you zoom out um, over the course of weeks and months and years, another way you could look at it is like trees. Um, there's, there's this metaphor of trees in the second half of verse 3. It says, He does this that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. You know, trees um, grow imperceptibly and yet majestically millimeter by millimeter by millimeter. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at trees right now in our backyard, and it doesn't look like they're growing, but they are huge. <laughs> and that is how God's restoration works in our life over time. Not just one tree, but us together as a forest, God is growing, helping us grow up and out, that whoever walks through would walk through the shade, and we would bear fruit. Uh, we'd clean the air, put out branches, put down roots that are deep and and intertwined and reach up into the sky. Point people's eyes toward God that we would be the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. It's an easy time right now to be focused on the present. But this growth that God is working, this restoration over the course of years and around the world and throughout history is still happening. God is still growing His oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. And in our last verse, verse 4, it's apparent to me that not only does the Christ rescue His people and restore His people, He does this so that He can put them, put us to work. He rescues us and He restores us so that, verse 4, He can use us for what He is doing in the world. Verse 4 says, They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. We live among ruins in many ways. There are good things. There are beautiful things around us. God has done great things out of His grace and there is so much to be thankful for and yet, if we read the Bible and we look around us, many of the things around us are in ruins. I mean, God made a good creation. He he, he put people in it, made in His image with a plan for them and He called it very good. And compared to what He meant it for, um, a world that loves Him and loves one another, much of what we see around us is ruins, ruins of that original plan. You know For the people in, in Jerusalem, the people in Isaiah's time looking at Jerusalem, it was apparent that the things they had hoped in were literally reduced to rubble. For us today, if we're talking about um, the world as a whole, or our society or a nation, sometimes we can forget especially when the things we really care about are going well enough, we can forget that there is devastation around us, that many things are not the way God meant for them to be, and not the way God means for them to be. Sometimes, um, in our own heartbreak, we glimpse it, we see it, that for us, yes, and for many people all the time, uh, God's purposes are being ruined, and yet God's purposes will not be ultimately ruined. Because even that which lies in ruins around us will be rebuilt. That's the promise here. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. There's no denial here that some things are devastated. But there is a promise here. That which is not which it, that, that which is not how it should be, will be rebuilt, will be restored, will be raised up, even those things it says that are the devastations of many generations, the things that have been off, have been unjust, have been wrong, have been um, uh, frustrating or painful our whole lives, our parents' whole lives, their parents' whole lives, to the point where we don't hope, we don't expect, we don't even think. It never even occurs to us that these things could change. These are the things that God will rebuild. These are the things that God will repair. And I will say, we have faced challenges this year that we did not expect to, challenge, uh, to face this year. But do you know what? Be it this year, be it next year, be it this generation or the next, we can have hope that God will also work restoration that we do not expect. That God will also rebuild what we have forgotten about. That God will also raise up what we had lost hope in. Because He is the God of all hope. And because He is making all things new. And that is why we have been rescued. That is why we have been restored. That we can be put to work on that work that He is doing. So even as we are adjusting to all sorts of new challenges in our own lives. And even as we go, God, I can really see today that I need to be rescued and I need to be restored, we should also open our eyes to where God is calling us to be part of His building up, raising up, repairing the ruined cities and the devastations of many generations. Because God is at work. And God is at work through His people. I think it's important before we close to notice that this passage is not, um, it's not just a reminder of the way things have always been or the way the world necessarily is. It's not just saying, chin up, because the world is a good place. No, there is much admission here that many things are wrong and that it might be otherwise except that the Spirit of the Lord is upon someone in particular. And the Lord has anointed him to bring good news to the poor. Um, We read this as Christians. And so it is important for us to remember that on one key Sabbath, Jesus of Nazareth was in the synagogue, as was his custom. And when the time came for the scripture to be read, he stood up. And he walked to the front, and they handed him the scroll of Isaiah, which is this book we're reading this morning. And he turned to this passage. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll. Luke 4 says, He rolled up the scroll and He gave it back to the attendant and He sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on Him and He began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That day, this promise was fulfilled. That day, um, we discovered who this anointed one is this Christ is with the spirit of the lord god upon him and our risen lord our risen christ still today stands over his word and announces good news to the poor and binding up to the brokenhearted and liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound and the year of the lord's favor it's good news for you and it's good news for you to announce because you are his beloved. You are also his body. We have been called to be the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Amen.